Gospel according to John chapter 17. In the last sermon um, regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we read from John 14 and 16, which are all in the context of, of the Lord Jesus teaching His disciples in the upper room. And now chapter 17 is His high priestly prayer from which we will derive today's message on the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 17, beginning in verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest me, I have kept And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, 
that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Thus far in the reading of God's holy word, and may he bless his reading and his word to his glory. I invite you again to open God's Word in John chapter 11 as we continue studying the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, is, it isn't uh, an easy concept to consider because of its very nature. We cannot see it happening. When we think of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you... you you see the pictures of the apostles. You see the miracles of Jesus. There are the people to whom Jesus spoke. But when you look at the work of the Spirit, it's invisible. Um, J.C. Ryle, he used an analogy that helps us understand this. He said, can I see the dew of heaven as it falls on a summer evening? I cannot. It comes down softly and gently, noiselessly and imperceptibly. But when I go forth in the morning after a cloudless night and see every leaf sparkling with moisture and feel every blade of grass damp and wet, I say at once, there has been a dew. Just so it is with the presence of the Spirit in the soul. So as we speak of the way by which the Spirit works and His works proper, the best way to know all of this is by observing its effects. And so when we put last sermon together with this one, we saw the first sermon, three ways in which the Spirit works. Those three ways were that He indwells us, that He ministers to us, the Lord Jesus, that He ministers to us whereby we are never alone. That is, these are ways in which the Spirit works. But what are the works themselves? And we saw four last time, and we hope to see four more today. The four that we saw last time were the reality that He's our comforter, our helper, or we can also translate that word in John 14, our advocate, the one who's called to our side to help us and to be our witness and, and to do these very things that we continue to see, to be our teacher, to be our guide, and to be the one who convicts us. Those were four of the works we saw last time. We're going to see four more today in our first point, but then our second point will be to help us understand this. Well, well how do we know all of these things? And how can we, in a sense, visualize what cannot be visualized? And are there results? What the Spirit comes to do, is it done? Does He succeed in what He does? Yes, of course. And so that's why we will see in our second point the results of the works of the Spirit. It will be as if looking at the dew and looking um, at the fact that even though we didn't see the dew coming, we know it is there. It is in seeing the effects. The Lord Jesus used exactly the same kind of analogy 
analogy when he was talking to Nicodemus and he was speaking about the work of the Spirit. He was even explaining what it means to be born again. And he spoke of the Spirit that blows where it desires, where it listed. And we don't see where it comes from and where it goes. But we do see that tree that is shaking because the wind blew right through it. And this is how we see the, the work of the Spirit. We see its results. So that would be in our second point. So this, this is not, and just a little word here, this is not an exhaustive um, two-sermon series on the work of the Spirit. There, there's so much more that could be said about the Spirit. We're, we're not really spending time just, just inferring the reality of, of the inspiration, the work of inspiration of the Spirit in giving us the, the Word. This is why the, um, the reality of, of the Bible um, is part of these sermons because remember we saw last time that the way that He teaches us, the way He convicts us, the way that He protects us, the way that He even comforts us is through His Word. And we found passages that show that He's the one who inspired the authors who wrote this Word. And when this word is spoken of as a sword, it is called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians. But we could speak more about inspiration. Um, in Romans 5, 5, we read that the Spirit is the one who sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God so that hope makes not ashamed. The Spirit was involved in creation. The Spirit was involved in the Incarnation. And then, of course, the Spirit is involved in the New Creation. We are referring to some of these works, but not singling all of them out. It would be a very long series if we did. And also what we'll just be inferring is the reality of the fruit of the Spirit. That would be a study in itself, that all of the fruit of the Spirit and what they are, contentment, joy, gratitude, um, these are the works of the Spirit in our, in our hearts. But let us start with the first one today. As we look at John 17, um, we saw the Lord Jesus saying in verse 11 of John 17, He says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. And then if you go down to verse 15, he continues in his prayer, I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. And to keep means to protect. So this is our, the first work we look at, that the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father to protect His church. Now, um, this is what we are inferring here. The Lord Jesus in chapter 14 and 16 has already promised that the Comforter would come, that He would be sent right here where Jesus is praying for protection. He's not saying specifically, and I know, Father, that the Spirit will bring this protection, but you, you see the context. The Lord Jesus is saying, I am leaving, and so, Father, protect them. Well, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be the one protecting and keeping His church. And, and the reason this is very powerful, it is to realize that it's owing to this very prayer that you and I, that this very congregation, that the church throughout the whole entire world even exists today. 
And you know the history of the church. It has not lived without its enemies. There is no, no um, religious um, society, if we, if we call Christianity as a group of people who believe um, a system of doctrines, and in that sense it is a religion, there isn't one that has been so assailed from every direction. And throughout all of times, the Jews tried to extinguish the church in its infancy, beginning with Paul, who wrought havoc in the church. The Roman Empire tried with all of its mighty emperors to completely persecute it. Islam, in the year 700 and forward, pushed through seeking to annihilate it. The Roman Catholic Church did its best to suppress it. Later, communism and secular socialism declared its demise and that they would attain it. There were countries who were proclaiming that they were completely without any religion and devoid of any um, creed. And now, in the world we live in, there is progressivism, there is atheism, materialism, and they are all waging a war against Christianity. And the church is still living. And the reason that it does not end is because Jesus prayed for God to protect it, for God to keep it. And it's what he's doing. Um, Matthew Henry, he says this, To this prayer is owing the wonderful preservation of the gospel ministry and gospel church in the world unto this day. If God had not graciously kept both, they had been extinguished and lost long ago. And you know how Jesus taught us to pray um, in the Lord's Prayer. He's, he taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. And what we have here in this high priestly prayer is Jesus praying in His own words, His own prayer, to the same effect. He told us to pray, deliver us from evil. And Jesus is praying, Father, deliver them from evil. Protect them from all evil. And this all evil is indeed This evil is all evil. It is the evil of sin. It is to protect us from the evil one, from the evil of this world, from the danger of materialism, the deception of its ways, the temptations of its attractions. And so the Holy Spirit has this work. He he protects His church. And we need to be thankful for this. This is why we exist as a congregation. Because despite our own sins and despite the sins that are out in the world attacking the church, God graciously protects it through the Holy Spirit. Now secondly, a work that is connected to this and even connected to this in the very prayer of Jesus. In verse 11, after Jesus says... Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, says that they may be one as we are. He's connecting this protection in terms of a unity. And then the last part of the prayer that we read is all about the unity. Jesus is praying to the Father that the, the church would stay united, as be as one. Look at verse 51 and on, that they all may be one. And in verse 21, it's powerful because it comes after Jesus added us to the prayer. He, he began praying by, to his disciples, and then he says, and I don't pray just for them. I pray for others who will come 
Verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, the apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so that means you and me. Jesus prayed for you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, here in the upper room in the high priestly prayer, he prayed for you that along with the disciples and all the church that existed until this very day and that will exist until he comes back, this prayer of Jesus is that all of these would remain as one. Look, that they all, verse 21, may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. This is the most perfect unity that could ever exist. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, the power of this reality is that this this work in unifying is keeping the church from a danger that would be from within. The, the protection from evil is from out there. And then the protection that we would stay as one, that of course means so that we don't divide. And, and the idea of dividing means that here one believer would be against this believer. And then this believer would join with a few more here and this believer with a few more here. And before you know it, there's a big division. And the divisions have not been just of two kinds. Remember what Jesus, what Peter Paul, excuse me, told to the Corinthians that there were some among them who said they were of Apollos. Some would say they were of Paul. Some would say they were of Peter. Some would say they were of Christ. And some have said that those who said they were of Christ, they were proud, thinking we, of course, are the best ones because we don't say we're of Apollos, Peter, or Paul. We are of Jesus, so we're really holier than all of those three. They were all being proud, all of their divisions. And that's, see, not the danger from outside. That is the danger from inside. And so we must be kept from dangers that come from out there. We must be kept from dangers that come from in here. Now, what, what ends up happening is how you, you could imagine, well, if the church is pure and it's made of God's people, um, how can that happen in the church? Well, because that danger out there, number one, can enter here. The ideas that are out in the world, the philosophies and the mindset, if you give attention to that, if you start imbibing and believing how the world thinks, it'll muddle your thinking. It'll invert in your way the priorities that should exist in the body of Christ and the way that we should live. That can start attitudes that are not Christian inside the church. We end up taking sides with other believers and then the danger of division is at hand. But, it, but we don't need the help of the ideas of the world because there is sin in our own hearts. And it might not even have an, a connection with some kind of idea or philosophy or, 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 or political realities out there. It can be simply in, in our own hearts um, Perhaps something of a pride that we're thinking that my idea is better than yours. See, we all have opinions, we all have beliefs, we all have priorities. And it's not that we need to be careful or else. In, in a sense, by our nature, we tend to think that ours are always better. My ideas, my beliefs, my priorities are better than yours. We need a fight against this very kind of thinking for the church to be united. And then you could ask, um, 
How can we possibly stay united? How can a church stay together? How can Christians really be friends for too long, for, in a sincere way, very closely and very real? It's only an answer again to this prayer. Jesus has prayed for this unity. It is an answer to this very prayer. Now, there have been many divisions. And when you think of humanity and how we can be perhaps so tied to our own views and how we can think, no, but this time I'm the right one. And so I really cannot concede to those other people and what they're desiring. And and you could really wonder, why aren't there more divisions? Well, there aren't because of this prayer. Jesus prayed that we would be one. He has prayed that we would be protected. The existence of the church is because Jesus prayed this prayer and the Father has been answering this prayer. Now, you you might ask again and say, okay, and here again in the context of unity, we we don't see the Lord Jesus um, saying precisely and directly that the Holy Spirit is the one who will keep us united. But, But there are two things that we can speak of. One is, again, the reality that Jesus, just a few pages back, like we saw last time, He gave the promise two times saying the Comforter will come. And He will have this ministry. He will help. He will teach. He will guide. And now He's praying to the Father, keep the church and then keep it as one Lord. And so it has to be the Spirit who will do the keeping, who will be applying this prayer of Christ. But a second thing that I would bring to you is that we could read... And, and, and this is, to, to my heart, very convincing to see that it is the Spirit's work to, to keep the body united. In Philippians 2, there's that very well-known passage. I'm going to read um, the first five verses where, where Paul is pleading for the church in Philippi to stay united. There were some divisions among them, and he gives a principle. He gives basically the foundation, no Um, recipe, you could say, for church unity. In Philippians 2, verse 1, he says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and the answer to these rhetorical questions is, of course there are. He says, And fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. That means unity. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is the idea of considering what other people's ideas are, what other people's um, um, possessions are, to really consider them. Really have in your mind, I will listen to this brother. I will consider what he has to say. I will consider his need as greater than my need. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, you're familiar. What, what Paul does is he goes down that, that valley of humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that even though he knew he was God, he became man. And among men, he became a servant, like a slave. And, and then among men that were like a servant, he died. And among the deaths, he was crucified. And, and so the word, of course, to all of this is the, the lowliness of Christ, the humility of Christ. That is the mind of Christ that Paul is saying that all of us should have. Humility, meekness. And we read in God's Word that humility and meekness, lowliness, are the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22 and Colossians 3.12. And so this is how we can say for sure that this is one of the works of the Spirit. To protect us and then also to unify us. Now, thirdly, a third work of the Spirit, we we will go to another passage. I want to bring this in because it is a well-known work of the Spirit, and I don't want to leave it out. I do want to bring it in because it puts a beautiful, um, a beautiful, we could say, way by which we see God does all that He is doing. Not as a distant God, but as a Father. Because we read in Romans 8.15 that the Spirit has the work of adoption. This is the third work we're seeing today. The work of adoption. Romans 8.15 For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So with this point, I just want to show how all of these things that we've been seeing that the Spirit helps us and He teaches us and He guides us. And now we've been seeing that He protects us. He brings us together. It's all with the principle that He reveals God as a Father. All of this is done in a a familial way. Um, It it brings, in a sense, reality of love and not a reality of distance, uh, but a reality of a Father, a God who is a Father to us. Um, a God who, who cares for us and who loves us. Now, for anyone to whom this... You, you would be tempted to think, well, this doesn't help me because when I think of my father, he was absent, or I never knew my father, or there are people who have had fathers who do not have a fatherly figure. But the, the way you should see it in Scripture, you should see, well, this is the father that all of us wish we could have had. Every father who's even the best of fathers could learn from this father to be the true model father. And God is saying He is this father to us. And this is how He lovingly sends the Spirit to take us by the hand and guide us, to to indwell us and come the closest He would ever come to, to any one of His own. And to now this reality of protecting us and then keeping us united. It is like a father who comes between siblings and says, now you too, why are you arguing like that? Sit down and reconcile. And this is why when when, when there may be some divisions between us, we need to understand God is like a loving father who, who would speak as it were that way to us. We better sit down. We better talk because our father would look to us in a loving way, beseeching that there would be reconciliation between us. And if we are being allured by the things of the world, He would be as a father saying, Now, my son, what are you doing? Don't go out there. 
Don't listen to that. That is evil. Come, let's talk. Let's reason together. Open the Bible. Read it. Learn to be like me. So this, this one point brings this fatherly reality to all of the work of the Spirit. And then fourth, the fourth work of the Spirit, if we go back to John um, 17, we see it in the prayer of Jesus. Um, as soon as in verse 15, He prays that God would keep us. And then verse 16, He has this fourth work that we will be um, dealing with now. He says, they, they are not in the world, even as I am not in the world. In verse 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus is praying that the Father would sanctify the church. And we know that this is a supreme work of the Spirit to sanctify His church. We can literally say this is in many ways the the, the foremost work of the Spirit. It is to save and to sanctify. And, And I have the freedom to say that sanctify is a foremost because God doesn't save us to just make us saved. He saves us unto sanctification. See, the very salvation is already a getting us out of the world and unto Him. See, salvation is already an element of sanctification because sanctification means we're, we're, we're outside. We are, we are separated. And this is the foremost work of the Spirit. And, and, and I will show you why. Because every single work we've been talking about has this as its very goal. What is it that the Spirit comes alongside us to help us to do, but to be holy? What is it that He teaches us but the ways of righteousness? The very protection that we've spoken of is to keep us from the evil, from all evil. And if we are to be united, it's not in the sense that we are to be united in terms that would be worldly in any way or in terms of how we would like a church to look like, but in terms of, of, of holiness. When Jesus, when Paul was telling the church to be united, to be of the same mind, he said the mind of humility. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Humility is a holy thing. And so every one of these works of the Spirit has this guiding us into holiness. One more, take conviction. He convicts us of what? Of sin. And not just so that we're guilty about it, but so that we wouldn't learn the road to righteousness. He convicts us of righteousness. Holiness. Now, beloved, this is, this is the interesting thing. I was, I was reading um, from a book of J.I. Packer, and, and he was writing this book in the 80s, and, and it is really the reality of today. The church has basically decommissioned holiness. In many ways, we see this. People seem to be too busy to cultivate it. The world feels it's too modern to consider it. We hear of pastors who are literally teaching against it from their pulpits because they brand holiness as if it were legalism. 
It's spoken of as unnecessary. It's considered passé. It is despised and it's even scorned. And yet, if we go through the pages of Scriptures, we see that holiness is the supreme work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. So supreme that we can even speak of this very work as the very result of the Holy Spirit in us. It is the one mark that would be that little dew in the leaves that you do see. You don't see the dew coming down. You don't see exactly what happened in the heart of a believer that is making him holy, but you will see him if he is living a holy life. So that sanctification, beloved, is what I mean by our second point, the results of the work of the Spirit. It would be salvation, but that salvation is shown and revealed and even proven by sanctification. A life that is lived in obedience to the Lord. Because holiness is the result of the Spirit's work in your life. He's our helper. Well, holiness is what the Spirit helps us unto. He's our teacher. A holy life is His major lesson. He's our guide. And He guides us in the paths of righteousness. He's the one who convicts us, we saw. Yes, of sin and of righteousness. And even if you think that third conviction of judgment, well, in many ways, that's what keeps us in the right path. To think... If I dare to live a life that is unrighteous and I want to go out and live that way, God's Word says you are not one who inherited the kingdom. And the notion of that judgment has a power to make me realize I can't go that way. And I don't want to go that way. And it's the Spirit's work. We saw that He's our protector. We saw He's our unifier. And we saw that He's our adopter, we could say. The spirit of adoption. And and beloved, this is the one that makes it all so beautiful. The Holy Spirit adopts us into the family. And He's the one who will make sure that when people look at you, they may say, you look just like your father. And it isn't in the color of the eyes. It isn't in the color of the hair. It isn't in the stature. It is in the holiness. And to think that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you to make you as He is, holy. You see what I mean? That holiness becomes the result of the work of the Spirit. Now, this is very important. Because then you, you, you have people who profess the other things in their lives. You, you'll have perhaps one who professes faith and says, well, the Spirit helps me. Um, the Spirit has comforted me and taught me. And yet this individual knows nothing of holiness. He really does not care. That's nothing. That, that help has to be doubted. That comforted, you wonder what they have learned. And you have two, two brothers who say they're united in faith and, and, and they, they will not have any division. They're going to work together, but they lack holiness. 
that unity that they profess to have means nothing. Or you may have a girl who says she believes she is a child of God, God is her father, but she denies the need of holiness. So her witness that she's a child of God bears no fruit. There are no results. And beloved, it, I, people don't typically say, I don't care for holiness, but you know how they'll evidence it? Perhaps by the means of love. And they'll say, yes, um, so they'll do that profession. Yes, I'm a child of God. I believe God is my father. And they'll say, okay, how's your relationship with that person? Are you two talking yet? Oh, no, not yet. That's impossible. That person will never break. I, I, I'll never forget what she did to me. And the more they talk, the more you realize the bitterness is there, the hatred is there, and it doesn't mean anything to them. That's not holiness. Holiness is broken. Holiness would have called that lady before, before anything. That's what holiness is. People want to profess they have every other work of the Spirit. But holiness seems to be unnecessary. And yet holiness is the fruit that shows forth the works of the Spirit in you. I want to read a definition of holiness by J.I. Packer that, that makes this very plain and clear. He says, Holiness is the fruit of the Spirit displayed as the Christian walks by the Spirit. Holiness is consecrated closeness to God. Holiness is the essence of obeying God, living to God and for God, imitating God, keeping His law, taking His side against sin, doing righteousness, performing good works, following Christ's teaching and example, worshiping God in the Spirit, loving and serving God and men out of reverence for Christ. In relation to God, holiness takes the form of a single-minded passion to please by love and loyalty. Devotion and praise. In relation to sin, it takes the form of a resistance movement, a discipline of not gratifying the desires of the flesh, but of putting to death the deeds of the body. Holiness in a word is God-taught, spirit-wrought, Christ-likeness, the sum and substance of committed discipleship, the demonstration of faith working by love, the responsive outflow in righteousness of supernatural life from the hearts of those who are born again. And I just want to close giving you several means by which it, it is proven in God's Word that not only holiness is the result of of the Holy Spirit, Spirit's work in the life of the believer. But the reality that if you are a believer, there will be the result of holiness. Holiness is not in the life of the believer, in a sense, up for grabs. It will happen. Just like we spoke of the protection of the church because Jesus prayed for it, and the unity of the church, because Jesus prayed for it, so the holiness of the church will exist because Jesus prayed for it. So that's the reason number one. Jesus prayed that you would be holy. So if you're a Christian, you will be holy. 
And what I mean, I'm not meaning by this that you'll never sin, but what I mean by this is when you sin, you will feel guilty, and it will lead you to the cross, and you will ask forgiveness. And then when you sin again, you will feel guilty again and go back to the cross, and you will have these resolutions. Lord, I don't want to go out that way again. I want to live a holy life. And that will be an outflow of this very prayer of Jesus. He prayed for you to be holy. If you belong to Him, you will be holy because of this prayer. Now, also, because it is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, think of it this way. Of course, this is the reality. This is God's will that you would be holy. And you could think, well, yeah, that's what He would desire. That's what He would want. But, but you need to understand that we're speaking of God. And it is His will that His church would be holy. There's a power there for that holiness to happen. And then another reason is 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. It's still that same passage that it's God's call. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. See, it's the prayer of Jesus. It's the will of the Father. It's His very call. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says that we were chosen unto holiness. We speak of those who are chosen to be saved, and they will. But Ephesians 1, 4 says that we're chosen unto holiness as well. How can you be chosen to be saved and that will happen, but those very people are chosen into holiness, and that will not happen. You see, people who are unwilling to live a holy life, either they are backsliding Christians who must repent, or they're no Christians at all, and must repent as well, and come to Christ for the first time. He chose us into holiness. It's God's call. It's God's will. It's the prayer of Christ. And sixthly, and lastly, it's what Jesus gave himself up. To happen. Um, again, it shows how sanctification and salvation are so closely connected. Um, I just want to end with this passage, Ephesians 5, 25, with this passage and then a short illustration. Um, Ephesians 5, 25, this is the well-known passage regarding how husbands are to love their wives in Ephesians 525 we read husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word see Jesus died not just to save the church but to sanctify the church here the word sanctify here is is put precisely as a synonym for salvation so you think Christ will die to sanctify the church and the church will walk and say, I don't really need this. This is too legalistic. No, it will happen. The church will be holy. So these are the works of the Spirit. Holiness is how you see the result of the Spirit. And I just want to end with this one illustration showing the power that the Spirit has to do what He wants to do in our lives. This is a story told from a man who was very evil and yet very curious. And in the days of revival outside a barn in Vermont, he he was outside listening to a service that was going on. And, and it was 
It was a very simple service, and, and at a given moment, a little girl stood up to give her testimony. And it was a very simple, a very sincere, and a very sweet testimony. And her words were like little pebbles that David used to hurl, hurl against giant Goliath. Because as that man outside heard those little words, he literally fell to the ground in conviction of his own sin and of his own opposition to that gospel. And as the people heard and saw, they ran outside and brought him back in and and, and started to minister to him and explain to him the gospel. And the story goes that he did believe and he was saved and he became an eminent servant of the Lord, full of piety and usefulness. He was sanctified. He had lived prior to that an evil life. And it was the testimony of this little girl that God used to hurl him down to the feet of Christ. And as we considered the work of the Spirit, may, may the Lord even be pleased to use these words to convict you of your need of the Spirit if you do not have Him because you're not saved. It is impossible to be sanctified without the Spirit who sanctifies. You are unprotected. No doubt there's no unity in your heart. You don't have a teacher. You don't have a guide. There's no comfort. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus, the Spirit comes to indwell you. There's no closer place to minister than inside your very heart. And as He teaches and guides you and convicts you, He's leading you to the road of holiness. That's how He keeps the church united because we all strive for the same things. The fruit of the Spirit become eminent. We become interested in knowing how to be patient, how to be kind, how to be good. Some of us might be kinder than others, But we need to all be kind. Some may be more patient than others, but we need to be all patient. There may be a doctor here and someone who's not a doctor at all. That, That is not what will unite us. But if you are kind and I am kind and you are patient and I am content and we are filled with joy and with gratitude and with love and with mercy, you see how these things bring about protection? from the world out there and divisions from in here. And it's the Spirit who will teach us all of this and who will be glorified as the Father because the answer to Jesus' prayer will keep on going all by the power of His Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we pray that Thou would be pleased to work this way in us. Lord, Thou knowest those who are not saved and therefore impossible to be even sanctified. Yet it is Thy will, Lord, that Thy church would be sanctified. There may be little ones who have been baptized into the body of Christ visible. but Lord, we plead that Thou would baptize them with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, invisible, but true. Lord, our young people, 
May there be not a single one who's not saved, but that they would flee to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would believe and repent of their sins. Lord, that Thou, as the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, convict, Lord, each and every one of us, and even believers, Lord. We know we have sins that we must be convicted of and broken, and that we would mortify and put to death Help us, Lord, to be as a, as a resistance movement against sin and towards Thee, Lord, adoring Thee as our Father and Lord and thankful that the Holy Spirit reveals Thee as such. And we pray, Lord, bless our own congregation in all of these ways, all for Thine honor and glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.